Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast. On a Monday, talking USC Trojan football, one week of USC fall camp is in the books, getting ready for the 2019 football season. We're going to talk about the weekend scrimmage with Coach Harvey Hyde. Follow him on Twitter, at Coach Harvey Hyde, or go to his website, harveyhyde.com. We want to talk to him, get his thoughts on what he saw out there from the Trojans who ran a 100-play scrimmage in full pad so we'll talk with him in just a second if you have any questions or comments for us we would love to hear from you podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address or if you'd like to call or text us you can leave us a voicemail or send us a text we'll read on the air the number is 424-254-9141 that's 424-254-9141 of course we're on apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts, and all the different podcasting platforms, wherever you listen to us, tell a friend about us, leave a five-star rating, a positive review. All of that stuff really helps to grow the show that's been going. This will be our 12th uh, football season covering the Trojans. We've been doing this quite a while, and Coach Hyde's been there from the beginning. What is up, Coach? Well, everything's great. I enjoyed the uh, scrimmage on Saturday. I enjoyed seeing people get after it. There was a lot of enthusiasm, and uh, I think the media enjoyed it. I think the players enjoyed it. Uh, I didn't sit in any staff meetings, so I don't know how what they thought about it, but I have my opinions, and Ryan, I'm looking forward to talking to you about it. I'm looking forward to talking to you about it as well, Coach, because uh, you were there. Uh, you got to check it out and uh, see what was going on. So uh, 100 plays, like we said, uh, seemed like all f- – I guess we can start with the quarterbacks – Seems like all four quarterbacks uh, did really well. We we took some unofficial stats at uscfootball.com, and uh, Jack Sears maybe had the highest percentage. It was the most efficient. I think he was uh, 20 of 22. The most attempts went to JT Daniels, and he had over you know 200 yard 200 something yards. If there was a sack that was questionable, but either four or five touchdowns. Um, good day for Matt Fink. Uh, Keaton Slovis maybe showed that he was a freshman a little bit. I know every, most practices he's playing really well. Uh, had a couple interceptions in this one, but you know, for the most part, all the quarterbacks seem to throw the ball pretty well. What was your assessment of how the quarterbacks played? Well, it was interesting. Let me put it to you that way. When you rotate your quarterbacks through different uh, receivers and different offensive lines and, and so on, it, it's more difficult on the quarterback because you see different receivers and different reads and communication too is a lot different than when you have the same four or six guys you're working with. So it's a more difficult situation. I think when you look at the stats part of it, you really can't make that part of the determination on who's number one or number two or whatever, because when you say 20 for 22, that might be all five yard passes or four yard passes or, or whatever, while you look at the 200 yards and you say, well, well, where did those come from? Well, they came from three streaks or three fly routes that were 60 yards apiece. 
and you get a lot of yardage. So it's difficult to determine that. I think all you do is confuse everybody a little bit more when all four quarterbacks, as you mentioned, uh, look pretty good. So it's just a more confusing type of thing, and I think it makes it a little bit more difficult for the coaches to justify whoever they do select to be the number one starting quarterback and all of the above. But uh, there's a lot of things about the scrimmage that I can discuss with you. And uh, as I always say, stats don't mean anything. W's make the difference. Who's your leader? Who's your winner? Who's the one that gets it done? Who can get the big play? Who can get the extra yard? And who is your leader? I think that's number one. Because in this type of offense, there is very difficult to have a leader. When you look at Michael Pittman, who I thought was one of the biggest leaders going into the fall and the spring and last year, you don't really hear much from him because he doesn't get the ball as often as some other people. And he's really sometimes just like everybody else. And when you don't huddle up, there's not much communication among the offense and defense and so on because of the hurry-up type of philosophy. So when you have a lot of great receivers like USC has currently right now, and they all look good like we've talked about them, they've got some outstanding freshman receivers that it just somewhat confuses, too, the depth problem and the morale problem and how can you play all these players at one time and keep your seniors and upperclassmen happy. So uh, it's a difficult situation, but it's a good problem to have. It is a good problem to have. Uh, there's a, an embarrassment of riches, especially at the receiver spot, which I think we'll talk to talk about in a minute. But back to the, the quarterbacks. Um, yeah, I mean, stats, especially in a scrimmage, you don't know, you know, is sometimes you, you throw into the walk-ons or you go in against the first-team defense. Uh, there's a lot of factors that kind of go into it. It's not like a game sort of situation. But, you know, good day for Jack Sears, who you said you feel should be the starting quarterback. Just looking at everything you saw, and also, like you said, you're not in the meetings and knowing what was going on behind the scenes, but would you still pick Jack Sears to be the starting quarterback, or how did you feel, like, how did they rank uh, after watching the scrimmage? Well, it's hard for me to rank them because uh, of what I mentioned before, because of the rotation that's going on, I think some of them all did something better than the other one. And I think that's what makes it a little bit more confusing. Uh, if you were to just take the scrimmage itself and you said, who is the starting quarterback? I'd have to list all the pluses and minuses of each one of them. And I would say right now, the experience factor would probably be the best thing for me to determine who is the starting quarterback. And you have a quarterback that started 11 games last year. And that experience is something that's worth something. And I think that that's what I'd have to do to make the determination currently right now, because it is somewhat even. It is somewhat even. I mean, they've all had their off days. They've all had their good days. They've all had their turnover days and whatever. But if I had to make the determination today after one scrimmage, now you're putting me on the spot by me saying this, I would say the difference in who the starter would be would be the one with the most experience. All right. Um, but we know your favorite's Jack Sears, but at this point. No, 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 no. I just said, I just said, now don't try to misquote me now. I just said, you guys in the media. I mean, now come on, Ryan. Before what you I had said, said you, you thought Jack Sears would be the best starting quarterback. At the end of spring. 
Okay, okay. If you'd asked me at the end of spring, correct me if I'm wrong, I said if you asked me who the starting quarterback would have been at the end of spring, I would have selected Jack Sears, correct? Okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. That's fair. Okay, uh, I'm just trying to, you know, keep it straight now. I'm just trying to keep it so we don't get misquoted, okay? Oh, yeah. It's only a weekend, um, so we'll see how this develops. But, yeah, I, you had to figure JT Daniels is the favorite having 11 starts under his belt, but there are definitely very vocal um, fans that think JT Daniels is terrible and they want almost anybody else and a lot of Jack Sears people. So it will, it'll be curious to see how this week plays out. And then of course the, uh, the, the showcase, the fall showcase on August 17th. And we might have an answer uh, after that. We might not, we're not sure, but for the, for the passing game to be effective, you got to have people to throw the football to. And like we said, there's a lot of good wide receivers coach uh, on the squad what have you seen from them? It sounds like you think Michael Pitt, Michael Pittman needs to get the ball more, but what did you see of the wide receivers at the scrimmage? Well, I don't know if I think he should get the ball more. I think he's a primary receiver and has been in the past and has the most experience, but now with Tyler Vaughn and Brown, Brown had a great scrimmage. You got London, you got Devon Williams, and you know what I think of him. I yeah. think I'd sit out three years and go right to the NFL if I was him so you don't have to get hurt. You can't cover him. I mean, he's almost un. I feel sorry for the corners that try to cover him because when you've split him to the field and you're not getting any safety help at all and so on, he's 6'5", can run like a deer, jump like a basketball, can dunk. I'm sure he can dunk and so on. It's difficult to cover this guy along with all the other ones. London's a young, great receiver. McLean's a young, great receiver. And then all the others that you have at the same time. So you've got a lot of players that can play, so you've got to be able to share the love. In this type of offense, you've got to share the love, as I said. Can't worry about stats. You've got to worry about winning. got to worry about completions. You've got to worry about moving the football. You can't have incompletions. You've got to move the football. You've got to have a rhythm. You've got to stay on schedule. And then early in the scrimmage, I kept telling the people around me, you've got to loosen up this secondary because they were throwing underneath all the time, and they were not getting – uh, the movement of the football, the first three series or so, they didn't even get a first down. And I said, the punter is going to be an All-American. And then later on, they went with the deep ball, which I suggested, and they hit it three times, a big bang, bang, bang. And that sort of loosened it up a little bit. And the running game a little bit uh, started to work, but they didn't emphasize the running game till the end of the scrimmage. And, uh, you know, uh, when you have receivers like that, it's very difficult to cover the field, but you can't cover him playing man because I don't believe when some of those players with the great speed like Brown and Devon Williams and so on, uh, when you put them out there on the island with a corner, young corner, it's very, very hard to, to cover them. So I think you have to bump them at the line of scrimmage and give them some type of help behind. And if you can't cover them, you got to play more zone. But when you play more zone, you can't really get after the quarterback more. And when they got off to, after the quarterback – then they have to play man. Uh, they tipped some passes and did some different things there. The quarterbacks did throw some poorly thrown balls, low and so on, and there were some drop passes too. But again, you got to remember, this is the first scrimmage, official scrimmage, I would say. Those other scrimmages are just getting after it a little bit, no tackling and what, whatever. But Saturday, was, I was happy to see them get after it and whatever philosophy they're going to use as far as their offense and defense gives them a, uh, a way of evaluating if they like what they're doing. So, uh, you know, it's going to be difficult as far as deciding who you're going to play. And I hope 
that they're able to keep the morale up of all those great receivers. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of, I mean, they want to have eight receivers ready. Uh, and there's going to be a lot of balls to go around. But yeah, curious to see how that, if you can keep everybody happy, because you're going to have to throw the ball to quite a few guys. Um, you mentioned the running game briefly, Coach, more towards the end of scrimmage. Were you able to tell anything from how the offensive line played and the running backs and, and just overall what you feel uh, the run game, which Clay Helton has said he wants this to be a big part of the offense, especially depending on who you play. Uh, it just seems like the passing game is pretty understood, and maybe we don't understand the the running game as much yet, if that's fair. Well, I would say that all the run is going to come off the pass, and I think they had some success with the run because of the pass, but at least some of the running game comes off of the pass. They ran a couple of draws that worked well. They have a shovel pass that they have a package for. I like seeing that play. You've got to have a lot of running plays that do come after the pass. And, of course, when you come up the field a lot trying to stop the pass, uh, if you hit the gap, you're in the secondary immediately. If someone uh, is moving one way and you're going the other way, obviously what happens the back is running the daylight. And if you can see that and the linebacker doesn't hit his hole, you're gone. If it's an arm tackle, you can kick through that and steps has the ability to step through an arm tackle and get in the secondary. And then he punishes this, the secondary a little bit more and always falls forward for three or four other yards. So, uh, basically, uh, it's a pass offense with the run coming off of the pass. And of course the quarterback is not somebody who's involved in the running game. They did have a quarterback draw. I saw that like that. I think it was Sears that ran it. And uh, their main purpose right now is not giving the quarterback the ball because they don't do that as far as the carrying out of the options and the fakes and the reads. I think they're going to have to do that during the season to keep the defense spread out uh, so that uh, the backs can get through the line of scrimmage. Occasionally, you are going to have to let your quarterback carry the football if you plan on spreading the field so and doing bootleg off of it and so on. So. Uh, we'll see if that happens the 17th in the Coliseum. I'm looking forward to seeing that, the action and seeing it in the big picture and see, uh, you know, just exactly what happens uh, as the development of the offense comes about. All right. Well, that's a good, I think, a good an, uh, analysis of what we saw on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, what about on defense, Coach? You, whichever direction you want to go, any position group or just overall in general, what you thought of uh, how the defense played? Well, we'll start with the secondary since they're facing uh, the passing game. And uh, first of all, I think the young corners are going to have to grow up in a hurry. Uh, they're put in a very difficult situation, as I mentioned, playing man out there with these great receivers, and they're getting beat. So uh, when they get beat, of course, you lose a lot of confidence in yourself, and and uh, you cannot really just uh, jump on the short routes, and that's where the read is. If you jump on the short route, the receiver makes a move and goes down the field, and the way they throw the football, the deep fly, it's absolutely fabulous because the receivers are so big and fast, they actually run to the football. I mean, the quarterback just puts it up there with a nice spiral in an area near the receiver, and the receiver's running to the football. Brown's real good at that, and, and the others are real good at that, so it's going to be successful. And I've always said all you need to do is hit one of four, 25%, and you got yourself a touchdown, and you loosen up the secondary for the offense to be uh, more effective. 
So when they started to do that, it did loosen up the, uh, the uh, defensive front more, and they had more success as far as passing the football. So I think the secondary, I'd like to see them uh, do get more safety help if they could. They're going to have to help the corners against great receivers like that. But the corners are, are growing up. I was talking with Griffin's dad, and I said the only way you can get better is play football. Now, I don't know if I'm supposed to be talking to him, but I was introduced to him by a former coach who I know for a long time, and I didn't know who he was when I was introduced to him. So we had a great conversation. Was uh, We just talked about general football. And I said the only way your son and all these other secondary guys that are young guys are going to learn the best thing they're doing is playing against great players. I think that's what's the number one thing, so that you're used to facing these type of players. So you just play and play and play, and eventually you get more confidence and more confidence. And when you go against other teams, you really have more confidence, but you say, we practice against better. And I think that's the number one thing you have to recognize, that when you practice against good players, no matter what position you are, you get better in practice, but you practice every day and you only play one game a week. So I think this is going to help the secondary. I think that uh, they've got to work on their tackling a little bit more. Remember, you've, you don't have to knock a guy down hard, but you have to wrap him up and get him to the ground. And you've got to remember that the sideline is a defensive player. So if you force him to the sideline, if he goes out of bounds, that's the same thing as a tackle. Don't give him and let him make a move. Force him so he has to go out of bounds. And if he cuts back to you, you make the tackle. And you slow it down so your pursuit can get to you. So I thought the secondary, that's the main area they have to do. And, and also they have to get used to it. It's not 11 on 11 any longer. There's action. There's running game coming at you. There's quick screens. There's all these different things that are going on. So it's part of growing up as a football player. As far as the defensive front is concerned, uh, I'm not quite sure. Uh, they did a lot of rotations there. Uh, they got to the quarterback a couple of times. Uh, I, I think they got some work to do, okay? Uh, I, I wasn't overly impressed with their quickness. They're very physical. But when you pass, uh, go against a passing game, uh, your physicalness doesn't make that much difference because the, you're, you're getting blocked up front in most situations, and most of their pressure was put on by some type of standard blitz or whatever. So I have to look at that more. Uh, you've got to have a lot of quickness when you're facing a passing team because you've got to be able to pursue, and you've got to get up the gaps, and you've got to be able to hurry up the offense and hurry up the, the passer, and you've got to have great outside contain and getting off the football and now I watch the outside linebackers they've got to get off the football a little bit faster they did jump up in the air they did block a couple of passes which I thought that was very good but they've got to be able to get up and force the quarterback to step up in the pocket to the defensive lineman you can't allow him to sit back there so they've got to get a jump on the tackle or whoever's going to block them to force the quarterback to hurry up his pass or to throw over the arms of the defensive lineman or whatever. So that's what I saw there, linebacker-wise. Linebackers are different in this type of uh, offense. Linebackers do a lot of covering and not as much as far as run defense. So uh, when you're playing on your heels and your toes all the time, when you're not plugging holes but you're worried more about drops and coverage, you're more vulnerable to the run. 
So you've got to be able to run and cover your zones and cover your man and so on. And uh, I really didn't have a chance to watch a lot of that. But it's a different type of linebacker play because it's all pass. It's all pass. It's uh, sometimes like watching paint dry. I'm not (laughs) used to that. I'm not used to it. I mean, after a while, you sort of lose interest. I do in watching the ball be passed every single down. Yeah. And almost the same things happen. To me, it's a little bit different. Uh, I'm, I'm going to have to get used to it. I think the fans at USC is going to have to get used to it. This is the philosophy they've chosen to go with. So if this is what they're going to do, they can't change now. They've sold this all off season. They've sold it to the players. So they've got to have success and go with it. But to me, as I've told you, I haven't bought in yet because they look like Washington State or they look like somebody that I haven't really visualized USC ever being. Yeah. All right, Coach. Well, we got to talk about the offense. Got to talk about the defense a little bit. Maybe real quick on uh, special teams before we get to some questions. Well, in special teams, uh, Ben Griffin, I don't have to tell you about him. That's your most valuable player. I mean, you don't want him in the game much. If he's in the game a lot, you're not doing very well. But I'm going to tell you, the guy's a weapon in himself. He has four or five different ways to punt the ball. He uses the sidelines tremendously, like I mentioned earlier, how you use the sidelines. And I think he's just a tremendous athlete, I mean, uh, at doing what he does. Keep him healthy and allow him to do his thing. Don't coach him too much, but you'll ruin him. And that's one thing coaches sometimes try to do to somebody who does something well. They say there's another better way of doing it. I don't think they'll do that. Just leave him alone. I, I tell you, I, I had an opportunity to uh, have Randall Cunningham, who was a Kodak All-American punter, and this guy is as close to or better than Randall. Uh, when you're a receiver, you get dizzy trying to catch his ball, okay? And he gives you different types of spins and so on. He's excellent, okay? So the kicking game portion of the punting part, as long as you give him time to block, coverage will be secondary because he's so good at where he kicks the ball high. You have time to cover he kicks it a sideline. You have time to cover. I think you'll get great field position from Ben Griffin. They worked on the kickoff return. Uh, as far as what I saw there, it's very difficult to tell uh, when you're not going live. All I know is one thing. You can't run laterally on a kickoff return. I saw the backs doing that a couple of times, and I said, get up the field. Get up the field. So uh, they've got to do that. You've got to get as many yards as you can. And remember, the fair catch rule is something that's so important today in college football. Don't take the ball in the eight-yard line or the three-yard line and try to run it out because it's not going to happen. Fair catch it. Be smart. Get field position because sometimes you're not using. You want to make the big play, and I appreciate players who want to make the big play, but intelligence is in the game is just as important. So if you can fair catch it and get the ball on the 25-yard line, I think that's real important too. Yeah, that fair catch rule is something else. So um, you gotta you got to make sure you take advantage of that. Um, and Ben Griffith, yeah, he can be an absolute weapon for USC. But one, like you said, you don't want to have to use. <laughs> you don't want to have to use it all that much. But uh, he's he's certainly someone that um, you know is going to be a force out there and really I think is going to be able to flip the field and and do some great things. All right, uh, we're going to take a quick break and come right back and uh, answer some questions from USC fans. So back in one minute.
So I'm a father of what? I gotta find a babysitter. I found care.com and I was blown away. Through the platform, I was able to find local and experienced candidates along with their reviews and rates, which were way more affordable than I anticipated. Care.com really put me at ease knowing that they were all required to go through a background check. If you're like me and you need to find someone reliable for your childcare necessities, check out care.com. Find the ideal sitters for your childcare needs. All right, we're back here on the Peristyle Podcast. We got a text question for you, Coach. Uh, he says, this is for Coach. Um, like it or not, JT is going to be the starter week one. And if if he doesn't start, Bryce Young, so he's talking about the five-star uh, modern-day commit for the class of 2020, will go to Alabama. Uh, I don't know why he's saying that, but that's what he's saying. Here's the question. Can USC afford to lose that modern day pipeline go monarchs um any chance that you would ever like change your starting quarterback coach because you're worried about a recruit no yeah uh you've got to go with your best player once you start doing that guy you're really in trouble okay your whole team will turn on you uh that team is just as important that team wants to win this year uh, some of them are the this is their senior year i mean they don't want to look to the future they want to play right now to the future week after week and get the victories that are necessary and get done at USC what they came there to do. Uh, you certainly don't want to lose a great player, but again, you, you yourself as a football program is responsible for that. Young people today want to go to winning programs where they can accelerate their uh, and now become uh, a product of the NFL. Size now in the NFL doesn't make that much a difference if you can scramble and run and throw the football. And now with the portico and transferring rule, I mean, you take uh, players, if they go to Alabama or they go somewhere or they go to USC, if, they, if they're not going to be the starter and they can evaluate it, they immediately transfer. So, you know, if I'm Bryce Young, I want a guy that comes in and challenges. And I, maybe I have to sit out a year or whatever, but I become a better football player. And I go to a university I've always wanted to go to. I get the degree and the people of Southern California to respect me for maintaining that and going to USC. And he's the type of guy I want to be a part of a program. Now, as far as using losing your relationship at modern day high school, you can't do that. If you're going to survive, there are certain schools in Southern California. You have to maintain your relationship with Corona Centennial, St. John Bosco, Sierra, uh, modern day, these programs that have these outstanding football programs. Oh, Christian, not there's some I'd missed. Uh, don't get me wrong. And you also have to maintain your relationship with, like, Lancaster. Here you do, Adelone Valley, you get this great high school kid, and Devon Williams and so on. You've got to recruit schools whether they have a player or not. I've always said you just don't go to a school when they have a player. But those coaches will favor schools that do come by and they form a relationship with. So it's very, very important. Now, right now, this year, this is a very important recruiting year for USC as it is for winning or losing for the entire football program and staff. So you've got to maintain your contact with all of those players, even the ones that have committed to other universities. You don't drop off. They haven't signed. You can still call them because if everything goes well for the USC Trojans, there's still an opportunity for those players to come back and sign at USC, but that's what they're waiting to see like everybody else. They're no different than anybody else. They're no different than you and I and all the media out there and all the fans. They just want to make sure they commit somewhere 
that does have a winning program so that they have that opportunity to go to that type of program if for some reason USC fails in attempting or uh, coaching changes go on or so on where they don't have a scholarship to one of those universities. But sometimes these universities fill up and then uh, they say, well, if you don't tell me now you're coming or whatever sign early, uh, we're going to take someone else. So they've got to be able to commit sometimes. They're forced into commitment, and some of these players can Dizzy, he emailed in. He said, as an SE fan in Utah, I've seen firsthand what a good punter can do for a team. Many Utes opponents would have been better off letting them kick a long field goal than punt. I'm wondering what you see as Ben Griffith's likely outcome as well as his ceiling. Does he have Wisnowski potential? And just so you know, so Tom Hackett was the, I think, two putters ago for Utah and won the Ray Guide Award twice. I think I think he was in the NFL but might be a free agent now. Mitch Wisnowski won the Ray Guy at least once. I think he won in 2016 um, and was a fourth-round draft pick by the 49ers. I think he signed like a four-year deal they look at him as an absolute weapon. Utah's been amazing at getting Australian punters and turning them into superstars. Um, I think Ben Griffiths has that potential. We've seen Chris Tilby come in, and he just was like a guy. It wasn't anything. Ben Griffiths is more of like a crazy, like just insane talent as far as that goes. So I think he has that kind of potential. The first time USC's kind of done anything like this. They've had foreign punters before, but no one like this. So I don't, I don't know what you think, Coach. I agree with you. I think he might be better than the ones Utah had. I mean, I think they were excellent, really good kickers. They ran to the right and they ran to the left and kicked the ball. Some of them, I think the one kid even kicked with his left foot. I mean, right foot, kicked both feet. So it makes it uh, really a weapon, and I think people learn playing against people like that. They say, wow, how can we play against that? We get We have a conventional type of kicker, and these guys are whipping us because of what they've done. So the smart thing USC did was go find one. Now, Ben kicks a little bit different. He's stationary when he kicks, but he's very accurate, very accurate. And I think this is something that's good. The main thing is you can't allow him to get hurt, and you've got to be able to block for him and get great coverage. And I think that's one thing that USC has to do. I think this kid is as good as I've seen. Okay, he's going to have a great future. I think he's as good as I've seen, and, and I've seen a lot of great punters. But this kid, I've had Mike Saxon, who who punted years to the Cowboys and Chargers and so on. He played for me, and uh, along with Randall Cunningham and so on. I'll tell you, the, this kid's a great punter. Yeah. You, you know he's got to be good if we're getting punting questions, so. Um, and comparing him to Ray Guy Award winners. We haven't seen that around USC. Uh, we got a question from Midnight Rambler, an email question. What happens if Graham Harrell wants Jack Sears to be the starter, but Clay Helton wants JT Daniels? Helton hired Harrell to run the offense. Doesn't he trust him to select a quarterback? Also, do you see a possibility where Graham Harrell resigns in protest over the issue? Man, this is really taking it to another level. A lot of assumptions here, Midnight Rambler. He said, if that happens, what should the fans do? Jump from the top of Pat's Tower or get the pitchforks? Uh, that's from Midnight Rambler, Coach. Well, Midnight, thank you for asking that question. But those things happen. They really do. And uh, if uh, Graham Harrell decides that uh, Jack Sears should be the starter, I think that uh, they would sit down and talk about it. 
And uh, I think if you're going to be honest with it and keep your staff happy, and and, and I'm sure that Graham Harrell has decided, discussed this with the rest of the offensive staff, that you better have confidence in the guy you hired. You better have confidence, otherwise do it yourself. Because he's going to be calling the plays. He knows what he has in his mind. He's uh, been able to know both individuals and so on, and you've got to let him go with it. You cannot uh, go with it, and after equal, then you can discuss it. But if he's flat serious about this is who I want, this is who's the best for our offense, which you hired me to do. It's your offense. I'm just running it because that's what I do. But this is the way I think the surgery should be done, and this should be the lead uh, doctor doing the surgery. And that's basically what it is. Who do you want to do surgery on the defense? You want your best guy? You want a backup guy to do it, or one that I don't have as much confidence in doing it. And I think uh, if uh, Coach Helton doesn't back him, you're going to have problems. Yeah, agree with you there. I think uh, they have to come up to – an agreement, you know, um, but I don't, I think midnight ramblers uh, reaching a little bit thinking that there's already a disagreement and Graham Harrell was going to resign over it, which I don't think he would do, but no, 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 he's no. not going to resign over it. No, no. Right now, Graham Harrell has, is in a position, excuse me for interrupting you, No problem. but, but Graham Harrell is in a position that if USC is successful in what they do this next year, he'll be, as a young coach in a position somewhere for a head football coaching position. Okay. Because uh, I'm sorry to say this, but he's going to get all the credit Yeah, because they've publicized it that way. I mean, it's not basically coach Clay Helton's offense. It's Gray Har- Harrell's offense. It's not Helton's offense that Gray Helton or Gray, Har- Graham Graham. Harrell is running. Yeah. Graham. Yeah. Graham Harrell is running. So uh, if they are at somewhat successful, then he's going to become a head football coach. Yeah. We had one from Gary, class of 1992. Very close to me, Gary. I'm 93. All right. Last year, USC blew several early leads, including games against Texas, Arizona, California, and Notre Dame. Opposing coaches clearly made adjustments during the games to their advantage. As a fan, it appears to me that the USC coaches failed to make any adjustments. They appeared to be outcoached and unprepared to counter the opponent's adjustments. Pete Carroll's staff always made great adjustments during games. Does Clay Helton and the other USC coaches have enough experience to make game time adjustments? Are they coaching with one game plan and hope our opponent does not adjust? What do you think is different this year from a coaching and scheme perspective? Thanks, uh, Gary from class of 1992. Well, Gary, uh, here's my opinion. And uh, on the offensive side of the football, I don't really think they had a plan in the on the offensive side over the last several years. And i sorry I say this, but it was such a, a bunch of different plays with no series. It was sort of a 31 flavor type of thing. You've heard me always use that term. And what a great quarterback with Sam Darnold in the past, he was able to pull it off, okay? Uh they, 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 they couldn't adjust because they didn't know what to adjust to. And they were just grabbing here and grabbing there and making a big play here, or a big play there. And if the big play didn't come, it was over with. So I think now with an offensive coordinator that has his own offense, one guy in charge of that offense, one guy calling the plays that you've got to know what your adjustments are to what people do. If you don't know what to adjust to, 
then you got a problem. Adjustments don't happen at halftime. Adjustments happen immediately during a football game. You know, a lot of people talk about adjustments at halftime. Hey, man, we had to adjust immediately after the first series in some games because they came out with a completely different front, a completely different coverage we didn't work on the whole year or the whole week. So adjustments are done during the game, and that's why I used to uh, complain a bit about no communication with the players when they came off the field as far as gathering the players and the quarterbacks all knowing what play was called and sitting down in a chair in a big circle and everybody standing behind their position so every first team or second team or third team heard everything and all the adjustments so that if someone got hurt, if they went in the game, uh, they knew what the adjustments were. So you heard me talking about that a lot and not quarterbacks standing off by themselves and not communicating with anybody. So you communicate from the first snap of the game as far as what your adjustments are, the first series. So that stuff has to be done the entire game. It's not just halftime. And then on the defensive side of the ball, the same thing as far as sets and formations and a wide side, short side. You chart every single play to know what their tendencies are from formations everything, what they're trying to throw out of different sets and so on. But they're doing the same thing to you on what you're doing in the coverages of these different type of sets. That's why they're running them to see how you're going to cover them so they can combat it. So you're completely adjusting on the defensive side of the football and trying to confuse the offense from the first series on. So people get overwhelmed with this halftime adjustments if you're not adjusting during the game you might be too far behind at halftime for it to make any difference and you've lost the confidence of your team and everything else as far as being able to be a coach and that's what you're hired to do is make these adjustments during the game and give your kids help but they're looking for help they're wondering hey coach that guy's not lined up where you told me he was going to be and i've never seen this formation before what do we do with it so all of these different things are an unbalanced line or the different things that that offense can do to you, you better adjust from play one, not just at halftime. And then at halftime, you sort of gather up and discuss it among the coaches, and then you go to the players and you say, you understand what we're doing, or you understand what they're doing, and you get that corrected, and then you say, now be ready in the second half because they might come back with something else. Then you've got to adjust again. So it's not just your halftime adjustments, it's your entire game adjustments, Ryan. Yeah, that makes sense, Coach. Um, and that's uh, something that certainly needs to be addressed. I think four games last year, if I'm not mistaken, USC had double-digit leads and lost. Um, that's not a good stat. You don't, you don't want that kind of stat, Coach. Not really. No, <laughs> no, no, no. I, I don't want to. Like I used to tell everybody, the only stat that counts for me is the winning score. And uh, to be ahead at the end of the football game, and you got to find a way to do. You got to find a way to have a, a playmaker make it happen. You've got to have the confidence of your team that when you're up, you got to have the killer attitude. Let's put them away. Let's put them away in the start of the third quarter. Let's put them away where they doubt and they want to bring out the white flag and say, "We surrender. We surrender. Just don't hurt us." That's yeah, what you want. That's what you want. We got one last question for you, Coach, and we'll let you go. Uh, Bruce in Fullerton, it's sort of lighthearted, but he said, last year on one of your shows, you had Colin Cowherd on as a guest. I enjoyed that show as I found Colin to be knowledgeable about USC football, and he didn't hold back as to the state of the football program. Do you plan on having Colin back, Colin back on as a guest? 
Thanks, Bruce. Uh, yeah, we'd love to. I talked to him over the weekend a little bit. I would just say he's not super high on USC football, the state of USC football right now. I think before the last couple of years, like with Sam Darnold and stuff, he was fired up uh, and still, you know, would come out to practices. He's not come out lately. And I think he just doesn't want to be disingenuous because he's not, you know, he doesn't really like the direction the program is going right now, but he's, you know, he still knows everything that's going on and he'll call and chat about it. And, and coach, I know you and Colin have a relationship that goes way back. We've been trying to get some like a, a hangout date together for the three of us to go uh, get a beer or something, but you've known Colin for a while, right? Long time when he was a kid back in Vegas, when he covered me, when I was coaching the UNLV, he was a local anchor there. I can't remember for what station and he's a good guy. I communicate with him uh, uh, you know, just a, a nice person and uh, has uh, really worked hard to get where he is today. And I'm very proud of him. Not that I, you know, who am I to be proud of him as far as what he's accomplished, but he is uh, a great broadcaster. He has great opinions. Uh, you agree with some, you don't agree with some. That's what we all do. Some agree with what we're saying today and some don't. I know that he's treated great when he comes to practice. One day he came and you were there with me, Ryan, and he came on the field. We have to stand in a certain area. <laughs> But but not only that, they brought him a USC shirt. He put the USC shirt on and went anywhere he wanted. Now, now I call that uh, special treatment to a good guy. And I I'm not I don't have any hostility on that at all. But you know he does do a national radio show and he's very well thought of. And uh, I think that's a smart thing to do as far as making sure that you take care of the media. Now I think that all the media should be taken care of. And I think we're all equal no matter what you do, whether you write a column or a school newspaper or whatever. I think you should be able to be treated all the same. That's like a first stringer and a fourth stringer. You all eat the same meals. You all travel in the same bus. You all have the same color uniforms on. So I'm saying, Colin, you set the standards. USC, treat us all the same. Yeah. And uh, yeah, Colin's a great guy. Um, it's funny. He's very, he can be very polarizing. There's some people that, you know, don't like them. And yeah, when you're a national radio host and you're talking about every sport um, and you have to give opinions for three hours every day, you're going to say some stuff and he'll always come it's back. It's hard. He, yeah. He does a, you know, he does his Collins right, Collins wrong. He calls himself out for being wrong every week. Um, you know, you're going to do that. But the, there's USC, there's some USC fans that, that don't like him or whatever, but then they would listen to a show with them like, wow, he knows a lot about. Like if you had Dan Patrick on, he wouldn't know that much about the USC football team. Like Colin knew like the backup fullback walk-on guy. And when he would go to practice and some guy would introduce himself, Colin would like, I know who you are. And the, the, the kid would be like, how do you know who I am? Like, and, but he does, you know, he knows all that stuff. So I think some of the USC fans that maybe don't like a lot of his opinions kind of turned and like, you know, but I do like him because he knows USC football. He's like a national guy, but has a, you know, he has a passion about USC football, so he knows the recruiting stuff. He knows what's going on there. So it's sort of a unique perspective. Like, like if you're friend, like if I was great friends with Dan Patrick, it, it wouldn't make as much sense to have him on. You'd get a good national perspective of how USC is viewed, but he wouldn't have the details of uh, of the intricacies of the team like Colin, like, you know, Colin does. Where he really shouldn't, because that's not his job. But that's something he's passionate about, so he has that. No, I agree with you 100%. You know, if you ever look at the studios, Dan Patrick and everybody else, they have about six producers, and everybody else that looks up all the information, they're always staring at a computer because they're, you know, they're always uh, getting Twitter or computer messages on what to say and what's going on. And 
background checks on everybody, and I think it's very difficult to do a job that Dan Patrick and Colin Collin do. See, covering the whole nation, hey, that's a tough thing to do, and Colin does a great job at it. I think he gives you his honest opinion, and as I said, you don't always have to agree to it, but uh, no, uh, I used to say when I coach, you know, you can say whatever you want, just spell the name right, because uh, it's part of our publicity and marketing of our program, and when you get on national TV or national Radio like that, people are listening to USC, and people care about USC. Whether they do or not, they're listening to what he has to say, and you, uh, I think that's great. Yeah. All right. Well, that's going to wrap it up. Uh, we'll try. We'll try to get Colin on uh, again. Um, and uh, but probably, I'd love to do a podcast. Hey, buddy, I'd love to do a podcast with him, us three, because you know him. Him and I will go around about about it too. You know, I don't always agree with what he's saying too. Uh, I've had him on the shows before when we did our pregame show and everything. It's fun when him and I get after each other. Oh, I think it would be good. We, we, maybe we could all do that in person. You guys come into the studio. Oh, um, yeah. And come It'd in. It'd be and, a good show. I guarantee you, Ryan. It'd be a good show. It would be good. Um, yeah, we'll we'll work on that and try to do it. So, so it's funny. Colin, every once in a while, just call and be like, hey, I want to come on. <laughs> so, we'll, But he's he's always <laughs> willing to come on. And uh, and do things. So we'll try to set something up, uh, maybe after a game or something, and, and see. You know, either if it's like, wow, this team doesn't look very good, or whoa, they look a lot better than we thought. So uh, something like that, I think, would be interesting. But thanks again. Coach. I think it'd be great. Oh yeah. I listen before you go. Before you go, I want to thank you here on our podcast for coming on my USC Trojan Talk show last week. You did an excellent job. I got a lot of comments on that from Las Vegas and in the Inland Empire. I don't know if you had a chance to listen on Saturday. That was a damn good show, and I really appreciate you coming on. Oh, my pleasure, Coach. It's always fun, and uh, we get the roles reversed. You get to ask me questions about the team, so that's fun. I loved it. You did most of the talking. Yeah. <laughs> it was nice. Um, but, yeah, thanks, for Coach. And you can go to HarveyHyde.com, and you can check out uh, that interview that I did with Coach Hyde, the show that we did uh, together. But that's the Coach. Uh, I'm Ryan Abraham. Make sure you check out uscfootball.com for all the latest of what's going on. I just put up a story on Isaac Taylor Stewart and uh, just talked with him last week. Uh, the, the young corners, like Coach talked about earlier, got a tough task uh, facing off against these wide receivers. So I had a pretty good interview with him. If you want to check that out on the site and lots more, lots of great information about the scrimmage all up on uscfootball.com. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast, and we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.